Well, uh, Happy New Year. <laughs> I, I know what you're thinking, the new year is long gone, but uh, anytime we start or end anything significant in our life, whether we started a job or whether we uh, start a good habit or end a bad habit, oftentimes uh, we remember that date and we can kind of reflect on it and celebrate um, that date. And so this month for me, um, me and Chad have both, or Chad and I, have both uh, celebrated a birthday this week, so we're looking forward to a new year in our life. Um, and this last Wednesday, uh, I celebrated 14 years of marriage to my beautiful wife, Tanya. And so we're entering into a new year of marriage. Um, so at least for me, this has been a chance to celebrate and reflect um, and to look forward to what the next year has in store for me. And the fact that I'm up here giving the word of God to you today is, is one of the big things that God is doing in my life. And I just want to um, ask you all if you would, as you think of the church and you think of this transition and you think about uh, my family transitioning into this role, um, just keep us in prayer, uh, lift us up, that that would all go smoothly and, um, and that God's hand would just be in it. So I thank you for that. Well, the title of today's message is, Where Am I With God? How many of you know that doing some self-evaluation from time to time is a good thing? Uh, 2 Corinthians says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in faith. Test yourselves. Today we're going to examine the condition of our hearts and be encouraged to increase, um, increase in our desire to see God. Amen. As I mentioned, you can start a new year at any time in your life. As we study today, uh, be open to allowing God to speak to you, and maybe this will be the first day of something new that God wants to do in your life. Uh, Gordy shared with us a couple weeks ago that uh, we should not run from God or hide from Him, but that we need to be ready to answer with a yes as He calls us. Well, let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to hear your word, to receive it. Lord, I ask that you would um, renew in us uh, a deep longing um, for you and that uh, we would have a desire to see you more than we desire anything else on earth, that we would desire to be close with you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Matthew 5, verses 1 through 8. Now Jesus saw a crowd, saw the crowds. He went up on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him. He began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And lastly, the text for today, Blessed are the pure of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they will see God. How many here would like to see God? I can't imagine what it would be like one day when we get to come before him face to face and see his splendor, see his fullness, and to really... I mean, just a picture of who he is. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. And I'd, li I'd like to invite you to, to imagine with me as we read this picture that's painted in Revelation 4 to see what it's like in God's throne room. It says, And instantly I was in the Spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven, and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. 
The glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles of thunder, and in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold Spirit of God. And in front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. It's incredible. It goes on to talk about these amazing creatures that are worshiping him nonstop, 24 elders bowing before him, proclaiming his glory and honor and power. This is a small glimpse of the awesomeness of the experience of seeing God face to face. A promised future for those of us that have surrendered our lives to Christ, and we can look forward to when he comes for his bride. I believe that this promise to see God is not only a future hope, but it's something that we can experience today. I'm not saying that all of us are going to have a vision of the throne room of God or that uh, he's going to appear to us visibly and we're going to see him in this lifetime. So what do I mean by we can see God today? So we're gonna we're gonna take a look. This is gonna be a little bit of a word study, and so uh, bear with me uh, if uh, if that's not your thing. But uh, but it's 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 really amazing um, when you start to dig into to kind of the, the fuller meaning of some of these words. So let's take a closer look at the word uh, see. The word used, um, this word is used here, and it's also used in other verses. Uh, It doesn't always mean the same thing in each spot, um, but there's a few different definitions of uh, this word. This is the Greek word harao. Um, The word can be translated as see, look upon, perceive, or discern, or experience. Uh, We see the same thing in English. Um, Obviously, we know the most common use of the word see. Like, I see my friends Tony and Sammy sitting there. Hi, friends. <laughs> uh, always fun to point people out and make them squirm well. Um, uh, we also like, um, we also say things like, oh, I'll see you there, or, um, oh, I remember the last time I saw you. When we say those sorts of things, we're kind of inferring an experience that we had with them or an experience that we're going to have with them. And then um, there's also, oh, I see. Or uh, I see what you're saying now, uh, you know, that we understand and we're perceiving. So before we can experience or perceive um, or see God, uh, we first need to be allowed in his presence. And so um, I was thinking about this and I thought, well, a better way to explain it, kind of think about uh, our daily life and something that might happen in our lives. So... Uh, let's say that Scott, you're going to drop in and see the Rams quarterback Matthew Stafford and celebrate, you know, kind of in- encourage him or, or uh, celebrate with him his victory in the Super Bowl. And so you pull up to the gate of his mansion and you talk to the attendant there, and he radios in and he says, uh, "Mr. Stafford, Scott Stockwell is here to see you." And of course, Matt would respond, "Oh, I was just thinking about Scott. I was thinking about having him over." And he says, "Send him right in. I'll see him now." You know, and that, that's basically how it would go, right? Scott? <laughs> okay. All right. So um, he'll see him now. You know, to see God means to be admitted into his presence. So Psalms 24, verses 3 through 4, puts it like this as, a, as it pertains to seeing God and being admitted into his presence. It says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? 
Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. Who can see God? The psalmist uses the same words that Jesus used. The one that has a pure heart. Seeing God can also be described as having an experience with him. In Psalm 63, David is on the run. Um, Saul is chasing him and he's in hiding. He's running in the wilderness. He's probably exhausted at jumping at every sound he hears, wondering who's sneaking up behind him. He's struggling to find food and water. And he's wondering how in the world he ever ended up running for his life. David draws on past encounters with God when he experienced his presence and he calls out to God with a desire to again have his worries and fears and anxieties melted away by the overwhelming presence of God. He says, O oh God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Is there anyone here who's ever felt like that or is feeling like that? Like life has got you overwhelmed and you're longing for God to lift you up and give you the strength to overcome. I remember a time uh, I was on a missions trip in Pekanjikum with uh, Gordy and Paul Tucker and we were feeling the heaviness of this just spiritual oppression that was kind of over the, the village. It was, it's very hard to, to describe. I haven't really felt that before. But we were all just kind of down. And I remember vividly, I was, I was walking across uh, the town, headed to another building, and there was a group of kids kind of chasing or kind of coming at us. They were starting to throw rocks at us, actually. And so I was kind of blocking them from the rest of the group, and we got into this building, and, and we went into this basement, and we just sat there, and we were just felt defeated. And uh, we, we sat there in silence, and we were praying, and uh, as we prayed, we felt God leading us to start to praise. And uh, how many of you know that God inhabits the praises of his people? And it, 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 was, it was incredible. We saw God. We experienced him. In our discouragement and our emotional exhaustion, it was replaced with joy, with tears of gladness, with a sense of empowerment to keep on going in the call that God had for us. But sometimes... Um, the cause of our desperate longing is not an external force. Sometimes the cause is internal. Our sin and our selfishness can leave us feeling distant from God, longing to once again be in his presence. I know what it's like to feel separated from God. When I was a youth and into my adulthood, I loved God and I desired to do what he wanted. I wanted to live a life pleasing to him. And I found myself struggling with lust and unable to break free. My sin repeatedly caused me to feel separate from God. And I would seek God, feeling alone and separate from him, not seeing him. I would actually read Psalm 63 in the middle of a time of repentance, crying out to God to see him again and to be restored. And as I turned from my sin, laying it at the cross, Jesus, by the power of the cross, would take my sin and replace it with his righteousness. His bloodshed made my heart pure again, and I would see him. He would receive me and restore health to my soul, removing my shame and calling me his child. 
a couple weeks ago, we were blessed to receive a powerful word from CW. He encouraged us that God loves you even if you struggle with sin. We can't earn his love, but that the same love that God has for his son Jesus, he has for us. He said that we need to prepare this church to walk in freedom and victory despite our failures, forgetting what's behind and looking forward to what's ahead, and having a, um, and to be ready to disciple others that come into the church that hearts are not their hearts may not be pure, they're sick, they're hurting, people whose lives are broken and a little bit messy. Whether our longing is caused by external forces or whether it's internal sin or selfishness, Lord, we, we need to see God. Amen. Yeah, so returning to Psalm 63, David continues by remembering past experiences with God. He says, I have seen you in the sanctuary. I saw God, or sorry, he saw God. He had an experience with him, and he continues to describe the effects of that experience. He says, I've seen you in the sanctuary, and I beheld your power and glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you, and I will praise you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. And I will be fully satisfied. You see, David knew that seeing God would fully satisfy his needs. David's experience with God left him awestruck by his power and glory, so full of the love of the Father that he declares that it is better than life. And he leaves that encounter not feeling empty or anxious, but feeling fully satisfied. So, so far we've looked at seeing as being physical sight, experiencing his presence, the third thing that seeing is, is the ability to perceive God or gain understanding. Um, anyone here desire understanding? All right. Well, if any of you didn't respond, is that because you didn't understand? No, I'm just kidding. I know we're not always a vocal family. I'm actually kind of impressed. There was quite a response there, so that's awesome. Um, anyway, uh, where were we? Um, seeing is perceiving. In Acts 28, as Paul is talking to the Jews in Rome, he explains that the condition of the heart affects your ability to perceive God. Starting in verse 26, it says, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Why? For the people's hearts have become callous. That's good. That's good. When it says you'll be ever seeing, this is kind of a little bit confusing here, because the word seeing is actually not the word harao that we've been talking about. That's specifically talking about physical sight. But the word that is used for um, perceiving is the word harao. It's the, it's the word that we're using today to see God. So seeing is perceiving. Um, the, it says that you'll be ever seeing with your eyes, but never perceiving with your heart. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they will see God. They will be admitted into his presence. They will have an experience with him and be fully satisfied. And they will have a new perception and understanding of who he is and what he desires. Do you want to see God? Then you must be pure of heart. But before we look at what it means to be pure, 
we're going to look at the word heart. The word heart here is the Greek word cardia, which is defined as heart, mind, character, inner self, will, center. I propose that in this verse, Jesus means all of this and more. Our heart is a combination of our body, soul, spirit, mind, emotion, affections, and personality. The Old Testament helps us to understand what the Bible means when it uses the word heart. In Jeremiah 17.10, it connects it to the mind, where it says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. Jeremiah 12.3 says that it's connected to our attitude. It says, but you know me, O Lord. You see me. You examine my heart's attitude towards you. And in 1 Chronicles 28.9, it says, the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent and thought. So it's connected to our intentions and our thoughts. In Matthew uh, 12, Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees and he says, You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings out good things that are stored in him, but an evil man brings out evil things stored in him. Your heart is where all the words that you say come from. Sometimes we do a pretty good job of filtering out what comes out of our mouth. Um, we've maybe surrounded ourselves with people who are encouraging us. Um, we've been filling ourselves with the things of God, and we find that the words that come out of us are full of virtue and goodness, and we're patient with others. But then there's other times. <laughs> Anybody ever have those other times? <laughs> yeah. There's other times that maybe the friends and family and coworkers that we've been around or the things that we've let influence us have had an influence on our heart. And we find our, our heart is kind of filled with a, a worldly, selfish attitude. And we find that the words that are coming out of our mouth are a little less than virtuous. Have you ever had one of those experiences? Maybe you were frustrated at work during the day and you come home and um, you snap with your wife or your kid or, or something and, uh, and it comes out of a place of frustration that maybe isn't anything to even do with them. It's in those moments that I know I need God to create a clean heart in me so that out of my mouth will flow grace and love. None of us can be truly clean without a miracle of God. I mentioned all of these influences from people around us, but let's be real. It's often our own imperfect selves. It's our own sinful hearts that cause us to speak the words that, that we do. I mean, look at what the Bible says about our heart. In Matthew 15, it says, But the things that come out of a person's heart, it's those that defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. And Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? It's imperative that we take an honest look at the condition of our heart. Is it pure? Blessed are the pure of heart, for they will see God. Pure can be used in a few different ways in the Bible. In ancient times, it was used to, to describe clean water or grain after the chaff and dirt had been separated from it. Or it's been used to talk about metal such as gold that has been refined and is now pure gold. But it also refers to being single-minded, to having a 100% commitment to Christ would be a pure commitment. 
As Christians living in the world today, it is not very hard to be sucked into running after the things that the world is chasing after, whether it be wealth or comfort or security or entertainment. And sometimes we do these things without giving a second thought to how this might influence the plans that God has for us. We find, uh, we find Jesus talking about this very thing in Matthew 6. Verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. James put the, puts it this way as he says, You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. And in verse 8, he continues saying, Come near to God, see him, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 100% commitment, not double-mindedness. Our God is a jealous God. Did you catch how he started verse 4? You adulterous people. That's some strong language. But this is serious. This is God. This is the Alpha and Omega. This is the I Am. We need to choose. Are we a friend of the world or are we followers of God? Do we believe in the cultural status quos or do we stand on the eternal truth of God? We cannot live on both sides of the fence. The contrast of these verses is found in Matthew 22, where Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. In the old hymn, I Surrender All, the second verse says, All to Jesus I surrender, humbly at his feet I bow, worldly pleasures all forsaken, Take me, Jesus. Take me now. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Let's put this all together. If we want to be admitted into the presence of God, if we want to have an encounter with him and a new perception and understanding of who he is and what he wants for our lives, we need all of who we are, our body, soul, spirit, mind, emotions, attitudes, affections, and personality and intentions, our whole heart, which the Bible describes as being deceitful and wicked, and who even knows how bad it is? We need that heart to be made pure, even holy, as Jesus says, be holy as I am holy. How is that even possible? to take all of what we are, all the wickedness that's in us that wages war against God and make it holy. Can that be done? In 1 Corinthians it says, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Praise God, through the miracle of salvation, through the cross of Jesus Christ, that wickedness, 
that wicked heart of ours that, that we can't even imagine how bad it is these these uh, that's full of desires that lead us in the wrong directions um, it can be changed it can be made pure first John 17 says but if you walk in the light as he is in the light and we have fellowship with one another catch this the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin I, I emphasize cleanses because the word cleanse here is derived from the same word as pure in today's text the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us and makes us pure from all sin all sin so what does this look like in practice the Bible says to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and although salvation is a free gift that we do not work to obtain the working out of that faith requires us to daily take hold of that free gift so what might that look like allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart to make you aware of the condition of your heart and then as you're aware of the condition of your heart you lay those things before him and then you see him and when you see him he meets with you he shines a light on other areas of your heart that maybe need to be surrendered or made pure and then it's up to you to then again surrender those things to him and then he purifies you and he meets with you and then he shines a light and it's a continual process that will continue until the final day when he comes back and completes the work that he started in you in a minute we're going to enter into a time of worship my personal experience is that worship is an excellent catalyst for self-reflection and for the Holy Spirit to speak to my heart um, taking from a, a 19 or a 1828 version of Webster's dictionary uh, it described worship as this it says worship is to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission I love that extravagant love and extreme submission it is the act of elevating God above all else in our life and reciting back to him his attributes and his character and in short if you surrender yourself to God in the worship of him he honors that and you may just have that encounter of seeing him and experiencing him and perceiving him that you've been longing for as I said in the beginning this can be a new year new beginning for you 20 or 2 2022 can be an anniversary date kind of an easy one to remember too this can be a date when you decided to seek God or to be honest with yourself about the impurities that are keeping you from seeing him or maybe you're reminded of a way that God has met with you in the past and how you've seen him fill you completely when you were in times of trouble remember that date remember that anniversary and celebrate it and reflect upon God's goodness in your times of trouble thank you Jesus Blessed are the pure of heart, for they will see God. This week, take some time, prepare your heart, and see God. God bless.